just focus on your reader first, you know, make sure that your content feels tailored to, to that human being, you know, use, use human language, invest in examples, uh, find the right explanatory metaphors that are going to resonate with your audience. And doing that will help you also differentiate yourself from the rest of the content on the SERP. We all strive for more nowadays, more traffic, more revenue, more growth. In this never-ending battle for more, it's easy to forget what's important. So what is important? Building real relationships with real humans and trying to be better each day without caring quite so much about getting more. After all, by building real and meaningful relationships, you'll have way more than you ever need. The SaaS SEO Show is a platform for meaningful connections and honest conversations with people who are real, hardworking practitioners and high performers in the SaaS industry. We're here to learn and get inspired by them, and we hope you do too. Now, here's your host, George Cassiotis. Before we jump into today's episode, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the sponsor for this episode, Ahrefs. Ahrefs provides you with an all-in-one SEO toolset that does everything from rank tracking to backlink analysis, keyword research, and technical audits. The best part, you can now use Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free to identify and prioritize optimization opportunities for your website, see all the keywords that your web pages are ranking for, take a close look at the websites that link back to and refer you in their content, and analyze other websites to find out what drives their rankings. Visit ahrefs.com awt and sign up for free. And now, back to today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the SaaS SEO Show. I'm your host, George Cassiotis, and today I'm very happy and excited to be joined by Lucia Tank, the head of content at Keeper, a tax filing software helping freelancers, small business owners, and other Americans uncover tax breaks magically. She has written about SEO for Slate and about you know, various other topics for uh, a variety of uh, publications. Lucia, welcome to the SaaS SEO Show. Uh, yeah, thank you so much, George. It's really great to be here. So as we do with every guest here at the, uh, at the podcast, we, we always start with the question of, you know, uh, who you are, uh, what, you know, led you to where you are today, uh, a brief, let's say, overview of your journey so far. Okay. Um, yeah, sounds good. So um, I've watched or and listened to a bunch of episodes of the show and um, it seems like a lot of the content and SEO professionals that you've had on here took sort of circuitous journeys into the field. And, and I would put myself in that category as well. You know, when I was in college, uh, I didn't really imagine that this job or anything like it was, was even an option. So um, I actually ended up going to grad school for sort of like a redacted number of years. Um, ended up dropping out of a PhD program in, in history where I was ostensibly studying a time period that started around the second century BC. So it's pretty, pretty wild to think that I work like on the internet now when I was used to studying very old things. Um, but yeah, I really think that that experience in grad school honed my research skills and kind of my ability to communicate with audiences with at really varying levels of sophistications from, you know, sort of gen ed freshmen to, to award-winning scholars. So that was actually a really useful experience. Um, my first role in, in content per se was, was as a writer, and that's still very much the sort of the lens through which I, I view the whole thing. You know, I have very sort of editorial rather than programmatic uh, appetites and sensibilities. So, but I was working as a content writer for, for this um, small European publishing startup that really prized like vertical ownership and 
and produced what I might call sort of full, full stack content professionals. So the workflow was pretty much, they would give you a topic and be like, you do the keyword research, kind of figure out how to angle this piece so that it appeals to our, our target audience. And then, you know, go, go research and report it, write it, uh, do the graphics, generate the schema, which we were kind of doing semi-manually at, at one point and, and um, publish it. And then, you know, know how to figure out roughly how it's performing a month or two out. So I feel like that experience, I really learned a lot from just sort of owning a piece of content from end to end. It did make me want to kind of zoom out and see how the whole operation fits together in a more horizontalized way, which was able to do in my next role as an SEO strategist. But yeah, I think ultimately, um, I think for a lot of, of professionals in our industry, there's this maybe implicit assumption that, that maybe writers can't do SEO or, or that writers are on the execution side only and can't really strategize. And yeah, I would just love to sort of push back against that. Okay, that's very interesting. We we often have journalists at the at the podcast. And I mean I can find applications of being a journalist or at least having, you know, uh, an education as a as a journalist when it comes to content marketing and and maybe SEO, uh, let's say. But I wouldn't think that uh, like having education as a um, in history could could have application because after you know while I was uh, hearing you like uh, share your 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 journey with with us, I was like, yeah, this could actually be helpful in terms of research. I mean, it can help you learn some fundamentals when it comes to how to find the best answers. So that's that's interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I love working with journalists. And yeah, I think other academics make really, really powerful, like you said, researchers being able to sort of cut through the fat on the SERPs and identify what is is true and what is not true. So you are the head of Colin at Keeper. Uh, could you please share a few things about Keeper for people who you know haven't heard of it uh, before, what the tool is and who is the typical customer who gets the most value? Yeah, no, I would love to. So like you kind of mentioned in, in your very lovely intro, um, Keeper is a next-gen uh, tax filing app for American taxpayers. So it's especially useful for people who have any type of independent contracting or freelance income, You know, whether they're driving for Uber like 60 hours a week or just kind of working a side hustle nights and weekends. Um, I really wanted to work for this company because I've had fairly complicated tax situations kind of throughout much of my working life, in part from freelancing. And just like that was such an awful experience experience George like I like I literally cried sitting in my lap at my laptop trying to do my taxes he was just you know someone whose income wasn't coming 100% from like a traditional day job at the time I felt like you know just completely like an afterthought for a lot of these traditional tax filing software so what, what keeper does is it helps people who have independent contracting income automatically find tax write-offs that they're entitled to work I think um, we've got a really wonderful data science team who is is developing you know sophisticated models to, to make these sorts of predictions uh, for our customers. But we also have an equally wonderful kind of team of live tax assistants who will see if, if, if something looks sort of unusual in your app behavior and clarify with you. So there is that kind of human in the loop. Um, I think that it's, it's sort of really valuable for, for contractors, especially because when you're in that position, 
the tax code is especially complicated for you. You're like, you're afraid of getting audited. Even if you know what you're allowed to write off, you may not just have the time to, to do all of this sort of record keeping that comes with that. So Keeper really just abstracts it out. And at the end of the process of finding all the write-offs, you can actually file your, your taxes right in the app. You can actually do it on your phone. Like I prefer to do that sort of thing on, on a computer and we do provide that, that desktop experience at all. But yeah, some people like to just sort of breeze through it. I mean, yeah, uh, when it comes to taxes, some words that come to my mind is, you know, fear, complicated, like, uh, let's get, you know, over with this, like, uh, I, I would say not so many uh, positive things uh, come to mind when it comes to taxes. So if there is enough to like simplify the process and help you feel more confident that, you know, I'm doing the right thing. I mean, I can see the value there. Now, you are leading the content efforts at Keeper. How do you define content strategy at Keeper? Yeah, so we have an almost entirely organic search-driven strategy. Like everything else, including videos and emails, is really sort of ancillary to SEO, and it is is it is there to essentially support our kind of search-informed content. Um, now, as far as the kind of the shape and the like texture of this strategy, um, sort of like the the product itself, Content at Keeper really aims to replicate the experience of just like sitting down with this smart and friendly accountant, you know, they'll, they'll, that's the sort of person who's going to translate this very abstruse and annoying IRS jargon for you. They're going to pull examples that really make the material come alive for you and kind of make sense to you. And uh, they're going to offer a judgment call where appropriate, you know, like this is what's true. This is what's not true. Not true. You may have heard something that, that, that makes you think this is true, but here's why it's not actually the case, you know, just really breaking it down for people. Okay. Uh, obviously, the majority of the con that you publish falls under the category like your money, your life, right? And so I, I would say that this is a bit tricky uh, because, I mean, you, you, you essentially give financial advice, right? Not with every piece of con that we publish out there, that you publish out there, but with like a, a big chunk of, of, mm. of this piece of con. Uh, I would like to, to hear a few things about your con creation process, how, you know, uh, things look like uh, from selecting the right keyword to creating a content brief so you can make sure that the person who's going to write the content, you know, they are obviously you, you kind of prepare them, set them up for success all the way up to co content editing and uh, publishing the piece on your, on your CMS. Yeah, definitely. And sort of like you like you alluded to earlier, tax is sort of very tricky, even within the, the sphere of your money and your life, because it's like simultaneously very boring and very emotional. Like there's a lot of negative emotional energy attached to this process of fear and, and stress and dread. And yeah, we really take it seriously that we have people's livelihoods in our hands. So um, yeah, you mentioned the sort of the life cycle of the content. So I'll start at the very beginning with the sort of the topic ideation. So yeah, our content ideas can come from, you know, lots of different sources. Obviously, competitor analysis is a big one, but we also do a fair amount of sort of like ears on the ground type listening. Um, everyone at Keeper spends a fair amount of time in, in video calls with actual customers. So we'll sort of pay attention to, to you know, what kinds of questions these, these users are asking us, where they're experience, uh, expressing kind of frustration 
confusion and, and fear surrounding taxes. And um, yeah, we can also grab questions that come through a couple of sort of crowdsource sources, like for example, our YouTube comments, which are very active, and also this service that we run called Ask, Ask an Accountant. But um, of course, no matter what the source of the question is, we'll try to validate the, the search potential of that topic using keyword research, you know, figuring out what, uh, what language people are typing into the search engines to surface the answer that they want. Of course, looking at who else is tackling this answer and trying to get a sense of, you know, whether we think we can be in the mix. Um, and of course, how much sort of conversion potential there is with the topic, how much we think we as a product can help them solve the, 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 uh, the problem that they are typing, uh, typing into Google, trying to find solutions for. So um, yeah, after we decide on a topic, if it's assigned to a staff writer who, who oftentimes would be the person to pitch it and kind of do a keyword research, um, they would then be empowered to kind of create their own reporting plan and outline it. After that, I'll do a round of editing. And then we always do a round of expert fact checking by one of our fact, uh, one of our staff writers who is a, um, a qualified accountant. So she's had like 10 years of experience preparing tax returns for, for people in a variety of small businesses. So having that resource there allows people who may themselves not be tax experts to feel confident that they're giving people advice that is going to be, be helpful and correct. So um, yeah, if I'm working with a freelance contributor, which we also work with, then I'll provide a content brief. And in some cases, this is going to be very detailed, you know, here are the H2s and H3s you can incorporate, that sort of thing. Um, in other cases, the writer would actually be empowered to kind of you know, generate that outline themselves based on notes that I give them about you know, tone and, and angle and pieces of common misinformation to avoid and important points to make, that sort of thing. And cases like that, um, the contributing writer would, would also submit to the same process of editing and fact-checking. Okay, uh, a couple of things here. The first one would be, you mentioned that, you know, you, you try to be close to your customers and, you know, audience and like, try to hear what like concerns them, what are the problems they are facing and try to write about these, these topics. A question I have for you here is if you see that there is a topic, a particular topic that people are interested in, but you find no keyword about that. I mean, no keyword in Ahrefs or any other keyword data provider. Are you still going to write about that topic? Yeah, I think that... Hmm, I can't think of a particular case where that's happened before, but I can imagine what you would do is try to find a related topic and uh, really, really address that particular anxiety or that question in a sort of embedded, weave it into to this other topic that we're addressing. I think one of the things that we try to do is offer a kind of a strong, almost thesis-driven vision, even within what you would call sort of traditional SEO content that is often sort of very comprehensive and let's hear all sides. You know, I think because we have access to expert sources, we can actually say like, you know, we don't need to hear all sides. Here is the correct answer. So I think that having that sort of approach and being not, not being afraid to be opinionated, even when writing SEO content can kind of help address those, those sorts of customer queries. Another thing that I would like to ask, you mentioned that you have someone who is, you know, an experienced accountant who has done this for many, many years to review some of the pieces or every piece of content that you publish. Yeah, good question. So every piece of content that touches on taxation will go through this review process. We do occasionally um, cover sort of other topics that are of interest to freelancers, like off the top of my head. I think recently we had a successful freelance photographer write a piece about how 
he you know sources customers basically a guide to business development for freelance photographers by a fellow freelancer so that doesn't really it only very tangentially touches on tax topics so that we would not need to to get fact checked by our accountant fact checker but anything that even remotely touches on tax in a sort of substantive way would would be fact checked okay can i ask what else does your content editing process include besides facts taking from uh, like a, an experienced professional and by the way i like the idea of having a person who uh, as you know the example you just shared um regarding the the freelance photographer to write a guide because they know the stuff i mean they experience right. it every 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 day so i i really like that but do you also have like an editor who is going to edit the piece and then it's going to go to to that let's say uh, accountant or whoever uh, or you know first it's going to be fact checked and then the the last stage let's say um is going to be that an editor is going to edit the piece as well yeah good question so i am actually the editor right now it's a quite a small team with only three of us as full-timers so we all sort of wear multiple hats as much as i kind of hate that expression because it's a bit of a cliche so um yeah i uh am uh i've got a sort of uh i've experienced sort of working as as a freelancer in media sort of as a as a cultural critic uh you would say I, even though i also feel a little weird about owning that term so i will do the sort of round of editing first before we pass it on to fact checking and a lot of this i think is 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 not just line editing although i do um invest quite a bit of effort in that as well it's also sort of you know especially when i'm working with contributing writers uh helping them reframe things in a way that would appeal to and make sense to our target audience like for example um we recently did a series where we wrote about uh, the the sort of tax implications that come with varying various immigration statuses in the US so a lot of my feedback on that piece was you know a lot of people reading this uh may their english may be their second language or maybe their third language so let's be you know really careful to make sure our language is accessible to that audience you know uh keeping our sentences you know syntactically straightforward just being really really mindful of of readability so uh, feedback like that that's that's a very good point because i mean that's that's a very good point uh haven't like it brings a very interesting perspective and it goes back to really trying to think about what the audience is and like create a piece of content that will not only resonate with them but also it's something that they will be actually able to consume like from a readability standpoint so i find this to be very very important one question i have for you what would you say are the elements of success when it comes to preparing a piece of content that will eventually get visibility and relevant traffic some of that traffic hopefully will result into you know leads uh, whatever the the offering may be what would you say are the elements of the, you know success uh, in this case and in general in your experience Yeah, I mean as sort of as I guess as general as it sounds, I think that the the most important thing for me would be finding some way to kind of differentiate yourself from the rest of the offerings uh on the surf. I think that uh when you're especially a, a lot of these um sort of content teams that feel the pressure to publish at very high volumes, it can be very easy to kind of just lapse into this habit of just like mimesis and you're just like sort of regurgitating and imitating the rest of the stuff on the surf. Um so that's something that we sort of very heavily push back against like um Uh for example I think uh, occasionally you'll find these there's almost like SEO memes that get circulated around certain topics it's like clearly what happened is 
some writer who writes for an enterprise level site was, was maybe misinformed or was using some old data and they put something in their piece. And then that like sort of little kernel that's not quite true gets like replicated everywhere else by everyone else who's writing about the topic because they just like copied this, this person who, who said it. So I think we're really, we really take nothing for granted. Like we will interrogate, you know, details that don't seem to be adequately substantiated when we're doing our research and say like let's let's look at, look at a primary source to really validate this so i think it does make our content creation process maybe a little bit slower we are not publishing at high volumes but we've seen that the conversions really tick up as a result speaking of you know copying from other websites i would like to hear your thoughts on what's called commonly referred to as copycat content and i mean also about the tools who you could say indirectly are responsible for, for that. What are your thoughts on, on that? I mean, do you use such tools? And if yes, do you have any tips for people who are using them just so they are on the safe side of things? Yeah, no, no, it's such an interesting topic, especially with sort of the, the direction that, that Google's going recently, the sort of line in the sand they've drawn with the helpful content update and all of that. Um, I think that there are a number of tools that, that in my mind kind of fall along a spectrum here. On the one end, you have just straight up like GBT3 sort of neural network generated content, which is something we absolutely don't do because of the fact checking element. You know, I think a tax being given tax advice from a robot rather than accountant is like to me that feels very sketchy and, and i don't, don't think it's something our customers would trust but on the other end of the spectrum there are all these sort of content optimization tools that maybe probabilistically kind of examine the content in the SERP and tell you like you know try to use this key phrase x times um, we do make use of one of these tools um, i think it's quite good it's called content harmony but uh I always sort of tell my writers, include uh, it, you know, take this with a grain of salt. If it's making you write in a way that feels unnatural, don't don't do it. And because of these tools, you know, they're really they're not comp they're compiled sort of probabilistically, not using any kind of a human intelligence. So they occasionally will give you advice that just is completely like out of left field. So I think just yeah, don't don't trust the tools too much. Trust trust your writers. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's the thing, though. How do you trust these writers? How do you find them? And how do you ensure that, you know, they will deliver uh, high quality work? Um, I mean, the topics you're covering are pretty like niche, let's say, and someone really needs to know what they are writing, even though even if there is a, a very robust editing process afterwards. Um, so how do you find these people and, uh, how do you, do, do you ensure that they are on, you know, top of their game, uh, consistently? Yeah, absolutely. I think that I've been sort of very fortunate as the head of the content team. And since that I've, um, really gotten to work my network, uh, I sort of have been connected with a, a variety of kind of talented writers and SEO strategists over the course of, of my working life who are, are open to doing freelance work. So I have a kind of a roster of people that I trust that I've met in sort of other roles or have worked with in various capacities. So I know that these people, um, they're, they're often people who have some sort of experiential knowledge of what they're writing about. For example, I've worked with a, a woman who's a professional resume writer and just writes lots of resumes for various uh, tech professionals and, and people in other fields uh, to, to create content on, you know, how to really make your resume stand out as a freelancer when you're looking for work. Um, I've also worked with a number of uh, 
writers who themselves are experienced freelancers. So even though they're not tax preparers, they've gone through the process of doing their own taxes and kind of know some of the pitfalls that come with it. And I, I encourage them to kind of incorporate where it's relevant, like little personal anecdotes. You know, here's here's what it was like for me when I was when I underwent this. Uh, here's kind of how I skirted around the the issues that that resulted. Um, so I think that that makes the content resonate with the user a bit more. It's almost like talking to a peer and then having that kind of, I guess, lived experience um, being a parent of the piece and pairing that with the, the fact-checking by an accountant can make for something that, is, that both sort of emotionally resonates and is, is technically correct. Is, as your knowledge and experience, let's say, a prerequisite for you when you're uh, hiring uh, content writers or you'd prefer if they had no experience whatsoever so that they are not biased, let's say, in the way they are doing things? Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, I think that I would say as a matter of principle that SEO knowledge certainly isn't required, I think. Um, but in practice, both of the staff writers that I've hired have had sort of experience uh, working, uh, sort of doing SEO in some sense, like uh, one of one of my staff writers, um, the sort of accountant I've been telling you about, uh, she uh, sort of started freelancing for us sort of before even my tenure at Keeper. Um, it's so interesting, when I first started working with her, she actually asked me what the letters SEO stood for. But, you know, at the same time, she had already created content that was ranking in the top five for competitive keywords. So, you know, she didn't know the, t the terminology or necessarily all the theory, but she could already you know, she already had the sort of the method and the system, like she could walk the walk. And I thought that was so interesting. So just that experience really made me realize that what is most important is just the ability to kind of communicate with a target audience so that takes writing ability. And it also takes, I think, just the ability to empathize really deeply, you know, so you can pull the kind of examples that make sense to people and just imagine the emotional state they're coming at a problem from. So yeah, and, and your point about sort of being biased, I think that is actually really valid. Like I would never turn down working with someone who has the SEO experience, but I have, you know, spoken to a number of talented content writers who have been given like maybe maybe very old fashioned guidance in, in their past roles, you know, of the, of the like, use the focus key phrase three times in the intro or the first 200 words like that, that sounds like very bizarre to me. And, and, you know, 2022 talking about it right now, but people are still being given this guidance by, by someone. I understand. I understand. Uh, I, I do believe that this belongs to kind of an old fashioned right. way of uh, thinking and approaching SEO. Uh, one question I have for you, and I was thinking about it uh, earlier, with all the changes that I can only assume that happen when it comes to taxes and things like that in the US, how do you keep up with all these changes? And I mean, how do you ensure that your content is up to date, not for SEO purposes, but for actual, you know, uh, like we have information that is factual? Uh, yeah, that's, that, that's my question, I guess. How do you keep up with all these changes and how do you integrate these changes to your content? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. I guess that we're sort of fortunate that um, on a sort of a large scale level, the biggest kind of industry shaking changes happened in 2018 with the, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. But every year, there are definitely small things that, that are changed. Some of them change consistently, like various rates will be updated for inflation. So uh, we all on the team subscribe to the IRS newsletter. So we definitely get 
some version of, of this information, even though it's not the most reader-friendly, reader so we can then take that and, and be able to translate it for our readers. And um, yeah, like you kind of alluded to, we have to be very organized when it comes to certain pieces of um of tax that get changed on a regular basis. So I've got various spreadsheets be like, these are all the articles that mention the gas mileage rate that changes every year. These are the articles that mention like, you know, income tax brackets, the standard deduction, all that sort of thing. And we just sort of have to be disciplined about regularly changing them. But um, yeah, the interesting thing is that of course the, the tax deadline is, is offset with the sort of the calendar. So people, most people will, of course, uh, file their tax returns in April, but it's not uncommon to do them late. You can extend your taxes and do it in October. So which means that that in this sort of weird gap between April and October, there are people who are kind of thinking about two, but some people are thinking about previous year's taxes. Some people are thinking about like coming year's taxes. So there's like a time when we need to have two sets of rates, basically, um, in some of these articles. So yeah, it's just being very disciplined and, and having, you know, cal your calendar marked down for when you're changing these figures. Okay. Um, one question I have for you. I mean, I, I can only assume that things are quite competitive on the search engine results pages for terms that you're trying to rank for. And I, I can only assume that you're competing against very big websites. Uh, my question is, do you actively try to promote your content after you know it's been published? or it's pure organic, no active promotion whatsoever. What, what is your process and you know, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. I would say that I wouldn't describe it as entirely pure organic, but uh, organic search is is by far the sort of vast majority of, of our traffic, and it's our primary distribution channel. We do uh, we also will promote the content uh, through through newsletters that we send out, um, and we have a kind of a an organic YouTube program that in, in many ways sort of supports our uh, long form article efforts. Like for example, if we write an article and we realize that this is sort of a topic that would translate well to video, we'll, we'll often sort of create a video based on it and we'll you know, put the, the video on the piece of content and, and also have it live on our organic YouTube channel. But um, yeah, I would say that the, the main thing that has been helpful for us in terms of going after some of these competitive keywords against better resourced kind of enterprise level players is really niching down and kind of investing in our topical authority when it comes to the topic of just freelance specific taxes. Um, it, it, yeah, it, it really seems that um, yeah, we've, we've seen that if we try to create a piece of content that is about some other aspect of tax that isn't specific to freelancing, that it will often not perform as well. It seems like Google seems to know that we are people who talk about this one area of tax very, very well. Okay, that's, that's interesting. I would like to shift gears a bit and uh, discuss something different. Um, you have a service that's called Ask an Accountant, which, uh, as far as I'm concerned, at least, is a great example of product-led SEO. First, can you please explain what the service is? And um, then can you please share some of the key learnings you got from launching that service from a content SEO standpoint? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Ask an Accountant is a free service where uh, Sarah York, our accountant turned writer, answers sort of anonymous crowdsourced questions about tax and, and sometimes personal finance. So it's a sort of the ethos of this is that it's kind of a, a microcosm of, of Keeper's whole mission as a company. You know, it's about democratizing tax advice and kind of just taking accounting expertise and, and making it 
available to people who can't or don't want to pay like something like $200 USD an hour. So um, yeah, the landing page for this service has actually existed for, for quite a while, sort of long before my tenure at Keeper, but it really didn't start to pick up organic traction until we added lots of kind of supporting content and copy to it, you know, explaining who Sarah was and kind of how the service works and also categorizing all of the existing answers uh, by, by topic. And um, as far as content and SEO learnings, um, yeah, we've done a fair amount of kind of just tinkering and iterating on, on the service. Like, for example, right now, each of the, the questions um, that get answered will publish to a separate URL. Um, so for a while, we experimented with allowing these kind of child pages to be indexed by Google and just, you know, internally linking them with our, our long form articles were relevant. But we ended up finding that this didn't really do anything like we were hoping for, you know, bits of long tail traffic, um, that sort of thing. But it just like, a lot of these questions are so specific, George, that like that they're beyond long tail. It's just like vanishingly long. Um, so they, they basically wouldn't have any, any search potential. Um, and it just often the sort of the, the value of the question would be um, getting an answer that would really only be valuable for the asker, like that level of specificity. So Basically, um, yeah, back to back to no indexing. Um, we're also we were sort of concerned at some point that some of them would would tre would tread the same category territory as, as some of our long-form articles, and we didn't want to worry about cannibalization potentially. And of course, we are not really at a level yet where we have to worry about crawl budget as a site. But like, you know, why why court disaster unnecessarily in that direction was was my opinion. And um, yeah, another kind of learning we had is sort of before the page started ranking well organically, Sarah would actually sit down and answer literally every question, but that became again, pretty, pretty unsustainable just once it got popular. So now we do have to sort of curate it a bit more. So we look for questions that um, will maybe have general value to, to more readers than just the person who's asking it. So we'll, we'll reject, we'll, we'll not answer a lot of the ones that are like citing specific combinations of states and specific dollar amounts and, and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, we did of course have to, to edit the landing page copy to sort of make clear that the questions are now being curated. Okay. Okay. Thanks for explaining. And obviously we will drop this in the, in the show notes. My second to last question would be, Let's say that a head of content at you know a SaaS company listens to this episode. What would uh, be your advice to them if they want to start building up their organic presence and not just you know for the sake of keywords and like clicks, but actual drive business impact? Which at the end of the day, this is what content SEO should be about. What would you advise them to to do? Yeah, I mean, one thing that I think has worked really well for, for my small team of three is just absolutely, like I've said, investing in content quality. Um, we sort of don't have the resourcing to publish like, you know, 30, 40 articles a month. And I think that's okay because um, like you sort of alluded to, if, if you're running SEO for a SaaS organization, um, you know, it's not an affiliate site. It really doesn't sort of help you just to have the eyeballs on the page. You need to really prove to your readers that you know what you're talking about so because you can only monetize if they land on your content and then are feel inspired to to take action from it and invest in your product so yeah as as sort of as corny as it sounds i would say um absolutely just focus on your reader first you know make sure that your content feels tailored to to that human being you know use 
use human language, invest in examples, uh, find the right explanatory metaphors that are going to resonate with your audience. And doing that will help you also differentiate yourself from the rest of the content on the SERP. That's a great way to wrap things up. Uh, Lucia, thank you very much uh, for doing this. Last question I have for you would be where you know people can find out more about you and get in touch. Uh, yeah, so um, please do check out Keeper's free resource page where my team and I hang out, uh, especially if you're maybe an SEO freelancer who is like not looking forward to doing your taxes. So you can find that at keepertax.com slash free uh, hyphen resources. And uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn. I would be very happy to connect. That's great. Lucia, thank you very much for being on the show and uh, looking forward to a follow-up discussion sometime in the future. Right. Thank you so much, George. Thank you for staying with us until the end. Before you go, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the sponsor for this episode, Ahrefs. Ahrefs provides you with an all-in-one SEO toolset that does everything from rank tracking to backlink analysis, keyword research, and technical audits. The best part, you can now use Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free to identify and prioritize optimization opportunities for your website, see all the keywords that your web pages are ranking for, take a close look at the websites that link back to and refer you in their content, and analyze other websites to find out what drives their rankings. Visit ahrefs.com AWT and sign up for free. Another episode of the SaaS SEO Show has wrapped. We hope this episode has taught you something new too. We'd like you to connect with us so you can keep up with all the new content that we're creating. Before you go, it would mean the world to us if you could subscribe to this podcast and over at our YouTube channel where we upload the video version of this and every episode. Until next time.